Father knows best. We all know that, right? Father knows best. But you know, sometimes it's hard to understand what he's saying, especially for the children to understand what he's really trying to get out and, and maybe why he's saying what he's saying. I think that's true of all human fathers. It's also true of our heavenly father. And to be honest, his son wasn't always easy to understand either. You know, Jesus often spoke in parables, veiled sayings, and figurative language. Sometimes he even spoke in riddles, as we discovered last week. He spoke of being born again, of living water that would quench our thirst and rivers of water that would flow out from us, of being the good shepherd who lays down his life and of the need to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He told the disciples that he was going to the Father, that in a little while they would no longer behold him, but then in a little while they would see him. They had no idea what he was talking about. Even after three years with him, the disciples remained confused by much that Jesus said. In our text for today, he will tell them that an hour was coming when he would speak plainly of the Father. A day was coming when riddles and figurative language would be over. A day was coming when they would understand both him and his father because they would have a close personal relationship with them both. Continuing our study in John's gospel, we're continuing the 16th chapter. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I'm leaving the world again and going to the Father. Jesus had come to earth to reveal the Father and the Father's love to mankind. But how? How? How do you best show God and his love to man? How do you even bridge the gulf that exists between a holy God and sinful man. That was the task Jesus faced. But he had a plan, a plan prepared from before the creation of the world. He knew what he had to do and how to do it. But how do you prepare hearts to receive it? That was the tricky part. How do you tell people that God has become a man, that he will be killed by men to pay for their sins, but will rise from the dead 
So all who believe in him will rise as well. How do you, how do you set the stage for that? For men to understand it when it happens. How do you communicate spiritual truth to people who live in a physical world? Well, Jesus began doing so by using figurative language. It would be confusing at the moment, but it would get people thinking about things that are hard to grasp. And it would prepare them for an understanding that would eventually come. In our text for today, Jesus assured the disciples that the hour was soon coming when there would no longer be a need for figurative language. He would no longer have to veil the truth about his death and resurrection and would no longer have to try to explain God and how to have a relationship with him. They would understand what it cost God to fellowship with his creation and why it would cost him so much. And they would understand what the relationship with him could be. They would, in fact, have direct access to God and would be able to communicate openly and freely with him. Now, that last point is important for us to understand, and Jesus stated it plainly. In that day, I will ask, or you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Now, sometimes we get the wrong picture of God. We picture him as a harsh, unloving judge who has to be appeased by our Savior. And that to get what we want from him, Jesus has to go to bat for us. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. Now, it is true that Jesus is pictured in Hebrews as our high priest who lives forever to make intercession for us. And in Romans, we see him seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us. But we should not get from this the idea that the only way to get anything from God is by having Jesus talk him into it. Now, Jesus explicitly says here that he does not have to request the Father on our behalf because God himself loves us. He sent his Son to die for us. He wants to bless us and to fellowship with us. Now, Jesus is our intercessor because it's only through his death that access was made to the throne of God, but that access is now an accomplished fact. God wants to hear from us directly, and he blesses us directly. We don't have to channel our requests through saints or Mary or even Jesus. We can go directly to a loving God 
if we have been cleansed by the blood of his Son. If we have accepted the fact that Jesus came from the Father to save us, and we have embraced him as our Savior, we can go directly into the presence of God. Our prayers are not directed to Jesus. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name, acknowledging that it is through his sacrifice that we have the privilege of coming before our Heavenly Father. And we know we have that privilege because Jesus made it clear that he came from the Father to open that direct line of communication with the Father. And he went back to the Father to personally identify us as belonging to him. It was after he plainly stated that he came forth from the Father and was going back to the Father that the disciples broke in with an exclamation of understanding. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. The disciples now understood what Jesus had meant by, I go to the Father. They now understood that Jesus had come to earth from heaven and was going back to heaven. Understanding that led them to exclaim, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative language. They got it. It made sense to them. He had explained where he had come from and where he was going in a way they could understand. They didn't even have to question him about it. And since he was answering questions, they hadn't even asked. Questions they were afraid to ask, but he knew they wanted to ask. They realized he knew all things. And since God alone knows all things, they knew he was from God. It was a great moment for them. Now they understood what he had been talking about. Now it all made sense, at least for the moment. They now understood the relationship with the Father, Jesus' relationship with the Father, and they understood he had come into the world to reveal the Father's love. Their understanding, however, didn't go nearly as deep as they thought it did. Some things were going to happen in just a few hours that would make them doubt Jesus' relationship with the Father, and he wanted them to be ready for it. So he went on to reveal some things they would need to know if their confidence were to remain intact. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet, I am not alone, 
because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, we can't be sure if verse 31 is a question or a statement. The New English, or the New, New International Version even makes it an exclamation. You believe at last. Well, either way, they had confessed their belief that Jesus had come from the Father, and Jesus acknowledged it. But he went on to prepare them for a challenge that would soon come to their belief. As plainly and as explicitly as possible, Jesus stated that an hour was coming and had, in fact, already come when they would all scatter and abandon him. In Matthew, it's recorded that he said, You will all fall away because of me this night. And he quoted from Zechariah, For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Jesus wanted them to realize that even though they believed in him and his relationship with the Father, they would soon turn their back on him and abandon him. And he knew they would. He did not, however, want them to be devastated by their defection. He said, in effect, don't worry about it. I know you'll abandon me, but I'll not be left alone. The Father will be with me. I'll be fine. You were right when you said, I know all things. I do know what's going to happen, and I know how you're going to react, but that's not a problem. He wanted them to know that it would be okay if they failed him. He wanted them to be at peace about their failures. Things weren't going to be easy. They would indeed face tribulation in the world. In fact, major tribulation would be coming in a matter of hours. And they weren't going to handle it very well. But it would be all right. Their failure wouldn't be final. It wouldn't be any more final than his apparent failure, his death on a cross would be. He knew his father was with him, and he knew how all things would end. He had overcome the world, and with the father's help, they would overcome the world as well. Despite the way things might look in a few hours, Jesus wanted them to know the victory had been secured, and their momentary failure would not affect the outcome. He could handle it, and so could they, if they would just keep believing in him, if they would trust him and his relationship to the Father. He came from the Father, and he was going back to the Father that much had been made plain. They still weren't ready for all that would have to transpire for him to overcome the world, but someday they would. And 
Someday they would understand. Someday everything would make sense. And there would be no need to keep anything hidden from them. He was making it as plain as he could for now. But he wanted them to know that everything would be perfectly clear after everything had been accomplished. He and the Father knew what they were doing. And the disciples could be at peace, even if things didn't go as they thought it should. Everything was under control. He was so sure of it that he could say before the fact, I have overcome the world. His father was with him. The relationship between the father and the son was secure. And they knew what they were doing. Everything, everything was under control. Like the disciples, we may not understand everything God does or why he allows the things to happen that happen. And our doubts may cause us to react in ways we will later regret. But God not only knows what he's doing, he knows how to respond. And if we are in Christ, our failures are forgiven even before we fail. Let's say that again. If we are in Christ, our failures are forgiven even before we fail. Our peace with God is secure if we just trust him. We may not understand everything God does or why, but we don't have to understand everything to trust that he does. And to be honest, some things will not be clear to us until everything has transpired, until Christ returns and we are received into the presence of our Heavenly Father. But until then, enough has been made plain to us. Jesus made it plain that God loves us and direct access to him has been made possible. He made it plain that he came from the Father and returned to the Father so we could have an eternal relationship with them. And he made it plain that we are going to face tribulation in the world, but that he has overcome the world. We may not know everything about the Father, we certainly know enough to give him our heart.